Section 4 of Myths of the New World by Daniel J. Brinton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. Myths of the New World by Daniel J. Brinton. Chapter 1, Part 4. There are many tribes whose affinities remain to be decided especially on the Pacific coast. The lack of inland water communication, the difficult nature of the soil, and perhaps the greater antiquity of the population there, seem to have isolated and split up beyond recognition the indigenous families on that shore of the continent, while the great river systems and broad plains of the Atlantic slope facilitated migration and intercommunication, and thus preserved national distinctions over thousands of square leagues, these natural features of the continent, compared with the actual distribution of languages, offer our only guides in forming an opinion as to the migrations of these various families in ancient times. Their traditions take even the most cultivated, are confused, contradictory, and in great part manifestly fabulous. To construct from them by means of daring combinations and forced interpretations a connected account of the race during the centuries preceding Columbus were with the aid of a vivid fancy an easy matter but would be quite unworthy the name of history the most that can be said with certainty is that the general course of migrations in both americas was from the high latitudes toward the tropics and from the great western chain of mountains toward the east no reasonable doubt exists but that the Athapascas, Algonquins, Iroquois, Appalachians, and Aztecs all migrated from the north and west to the regions they occupied. In South America, curiously enough, the direction is reversed. If the Caribs belong to the Tupi-Guarnai stem, and if the Quichuas belong to the Aymaras, as there is a strong likelihood, then nine-tenths of the population of the vast continent wandered forth from the steppes and valleys at the headwaters of the Rio de la Plata, toward the Gulf of Mexico, where they came in collision with that other wave of migration surging down from high northern latitudes. For the banks of the river Paraguay and the steppes of the Bolivian Cordilleras are unquestionably the earliest traditional homes of both Tupis and Aymaras. The movements took place not in large bodies under the stimulus of a settled purpose, but step by step, family by family, as the older hunting grounds became too thickly peopled. This fact hints unmistakably at the grey antiquity of the race. It were idle even to guess how great this must be, but it is possible to set limits to it in both directions. On the one hand, not a tittle of evidence is on record to carry the age of man in America beyond the present geological epoch. Dr. Lund examined in Brazil more than 800 caverns out of which number only six contained human bones, and of these six only one had with the human bones those of animals now extinct. Even in that instance the original stratification had been disturbed, and probably the bones had been interred there. There is strong negative evidence, so in every other example where an unbiased and competent geologist has made the examination the alleged discoveries of human remains in the oldest strata have proved erroneous. The cranial forms of the American Aborigines have by some been supposed to present anomalies distinguishing their race from all others, 
and even its chief families from one another. This too falls to the ground before a rigid analysis. The last word of craniology, which at one time promised to revolutionize ethnology and even history, is that no one form of the skull is peculiar to the natives of the New World, that in the same linguistic family one glides into another by imperceptible degrees, and that there is as much diversity, and the same diversity among them in this report as among the races of the old continent. Peculiarities of structure, though they may pass as general truths, offer no firm foundation whereon to construct a scientific ethnology. Anatomy shows nothing unique in the Indian, nothing demanding for its development any special antiquity, still less an original diversity of type. On the other hand, the remains of primeval art and the impress he made upon nature bespeak for man a residence in the new world keeble with the most distant events of history. By remains of art I do not so much refer to those desolate palaces which crumble forgotten in the gloom of tropical woods, nor even the enormous earthworks of the Mississippi Valley covered with the mould of generations of forest trees, but rather to the humbler and less deceptive relics of his kitchens and his hunts. On the Atlantic coast one often sees the refuse of Indian villages, where generation after generation have passed their summers in fishing, and left the bones, shells and charcoal as their only epitaph. How many such summers would it require for one or two hundred people to thus gradually accumulate a mound of offal eight or ten feet high and a hundred yards across as is common enough? How many generations to heap up that at the mouth of the Altamaha River, examined and pronounced exclusively of this origin by Sir Charles Lyell, which is about this height and covers ten acres of ground? Those who, like myself, have tramped over many a ploughed field in search of arrowheads must have sometimes been amazed at the numbers which are sown over the face of our country betokening a most prolonged possession of the soil by their makers for a hunting population is always sparse and the collector finds only those arrowheads which lie upon the surface still more forcibly does nature herself bear witness to this antiquity of possession botanists declare that a very lengthy course of cultivation is required so to alter the form of a plant that it can no longer be identified with the wild species and still more protracted must be the artificial propagation for it to lose its power of independent life, and to rely wholly on man to preserve it from extinction. Now this is precisely the condition of the maize, tobacco, cotton, quinoa, and mandioca plants, and of that species of palm called by botanists the Gulielma speciosa. All have been cultivated from immemorial time by the aborigines of America, and, except cotton, by no other race. All no longer are to be identified with any known wild species. Several are sure to perish unless fostered by human care. What numberless ages does this suggest? How many centuries elapsed ere man thought of cultivating Indian corn? How many more ere it has spread over nearly a hundred degrees of latitude, and lost all semblance to its original form? Who has the temerity to answer these questions? The judicious thinker will perceive in them satisfactory reasons for dropping once for all the vexed inquiry, how America was peopled, and will smile at its imaginary solutions, 
whether they suggest jews japanese or as the latest theory is egyptians while these and other considerations testify forcibly to that isolation i have already mentioned they are almost equally positive for an extensive intercourse in the very distant ages between the great families of the race and for a prevalent unity of mental type or perhaps they hint at a still visible oneness of descent in their stage of culture the maize cotton and tobacco could hardly have spread so widely by commerce alone then there are verbal similarities running through wide families of languages which in the words of professor bushman are calculated to fill us with bewildering amazement some of which will hereafter be pointed out and lastly passing to the psychological constitution of the race we may quote the words of a sharp-sighted naturalist whose monograph on one of its tribes is unsurpassed for profound reflections not only do all the primitive inhabitants of america stand on one scale of related culture but that mental condition of all in which humanity chiefly mirrors itself to wit their religious and moral consciousness this source of all other inner and outer conditions is one with all however diverse the natural influences under which they live penetrated with the truth of these views all artificial divisions into tropical or temperate civilized or barbarous will in the present work so far as possible be avoided and the race will be studied as a unit its religion as the development of ideas common to all its members and its myths as the garb thrown around these ideas by imaginations more or less fertile but seeking everywhere to embody the same notions end of section four read for you by chiquito crasto Birmingham, Alabama.